you know, I had boyfriends, and um, I think that it, well, for me, it was a very different from what it, what it is today. Very different. Uh, you know, in high school, you might have kissed and uh, messed around a little bit, but you that was about it. And right. Of course, you had no contraceptives. Right. Birth control didn't get exist. Uh, no. Didn't get invented until what the sixties? Yeah. Seventies? Yeah. And we're talking well what now? the forties. The, there was always a condom. Uh, now but, I should I should say as we talk about this as we get into this a little bit you your background your checkered nurse career yeah. as you've put it you've worked as a sex educator yeah is that right and yeah. I have a lot of questions <laughs> me and all my friends a podcast about love life and joint pain produced in partnership with Blakeford Senior Life. Well, why don't we why don't we start first off by me apologizing? I went to the wrong apartment. I went to another Francis's yeah. yes. apartment. Um, yeah. So, but you are Francis Edwards. Yes. Uh, Francis McGoy Edwards. Francis McGoy Edwards from Tupelo, Mississippi, home of Elvis Presley. Did you and and you grew up with? I did not know him. Um, of course, we didn't, you know, he was, he was not, uh, they moved when he was about 11. Uh, my sister, uh, my, my cousin knew him, he was in his class, but other than that, I really did not know anything about him. But one of the things I remember when they told me where his house was, I said, oh, I believe I remember that house. I don't remember the house, I remember the road, because it was on a farm where one of my high school boyfriends and I used to go and he would shoot mistletoe out of the tree with a with a rifle to then present over your head uh-huh. and, oh, and, and to give to me wow if you think for one second we're going to talk about Elvis and not this mistletoe yeah. man you're cra- I, I couldn't care less about Elvis <laughs> at this point well let's 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 start from the beginning okay um beyond your name and where you're from who I am uh, speaking with well um you know, when I am asked that question, it's it's always interesting to me because it, how you define yourself is is interesting. I, my first thought is, well, I'm me, and um, I'm a woman, I'm um, a nurse, and then I'm a wife and mother, grandmother and great-grandmother. But first, I'm me. And, you know, a lot of times that gets lost. What do you mean by that? Well, I think a lot of women decide, do, and men too, define themselves as somebody's in relation to somebody else, not who you are. Now, wow, I mean, this is opening a, a number of avenues we could go down. Have you always felt this way, or is this a new feeling based on life circumstances? No, I've had this feeling when I was in um, in some of the the my checkered career nursing, uh, I remember going to a seminar one time, and it was psychology of something, and that question was posed, and how many people define themselves first as a nurse? And I thought, well, yeah, but, you know, first I'm me, and I am a nurse, and that was second. Then 
wife, mother, grandmother, and so forth. So when you asked me a second ago, when we were not recording, um, my background and what I'm doing, was that a test for me to say, I'm me, No, Francis. no, 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 I'm no. Me. No, no. And, and, you know, I define myself in, in, in different situations. Um, the last thing I did, and I still do on myself and friends and family, but not for money, is I do energetic healing. Energetic healing. Yeah, like Reiki, which is Japanese. and I've heard of that, but I'm not f- super familiar with it. Can you explain? deals with the energy fields of the body. And it's an, these are ancient ways of healing. Mm-hmm. They certainly don't take the place of Western medicine, but they help you heal faster because you, uh, the energy your body has can work for you rather than against you. So has your, is, it, is this like yin-yang or, yeah. or Tao type, yeah. type stuff? Yeah. And, and you've been doing it for people. What, yeah. what, is a, what does a session consist of? Uh, well, it, and how much do you charge? <laughs> I don't charge anything, okay. but I did charge about a hundred dollars. Okay. So what is it? Is it a physical? Um, they're, they're energy centers in your body and, uh, you use those energy centers and all your joints are minor energy centers. So you work with the energy centers of the body and you touch those. However, um, Occasionally, I've had somebody who's, I got the message, Mm-mm, don't touch. And so I did. <laughs> I've gotten that message. Yeah. So let's go back to Tubelo for a okay. second. Uh, you were born in what year? 1930. 1930. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a year after the Depression, I guess, or in the, yeah. in the midst of it. Yeah. And my father was a uh, merchant and my mother was a school teacher. And um, she decided that she was going to open a kindergarten, which there weren't any kindergartens. There weren't any in the public schools or anywhere else. And so she did. And every morning, these two men would come to, to the house and move all the furniture out of the living room and dining room and put in little tables and chairs. And every day, about one o'clock, they came back and did the whole thing again, five days a week. Wow. And she taught kindergarten. And... um then, you have memories of this. Uh, yes, uh, uh, yeah. yes, I do. And then she, when we, we, she built a, well, the next thing that happened in Tupelo into my life was there was a huge tornado. Uh, and this was, see, before you, before we had all the weather channels to tell you what was going on weather-wise. And uh, it happened on a um, Sunday night. About 8 o'clock, after all of the people who had gone to church that night got home, which was good, and uh, the, the night watchman at the power plant saw it coming and pulled the plug so we didn't have any live wires in town and no fire, one fire, but that was all. And I remember the house, it had a, a porch that had they'd, uh, made into a sleeping porch. And my sister and I slept on that porch, and we slept right under the windows. It wasn't a very big room, and right. of course, we were tiny. In fact, both of us slept in a single bed. And um, Mother heard this noise and thought it was, she didn't know what it was, but she thought we needed to get out of the 
way. And so she got us up, and as she closed the door, those windows blew in. And that was the only damage that house had. The house on either side of us were uh, blown down. One was blown flat. The other one, the roof was damaged. Well, isn't that the crazy thing about tornadoes? We know this from yeah. the National One, is they, they have their path of destruction. Yeah. And if you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. And if you're two feet to the right or the left of it, you're yeah. spared. Yeah. And that night, there were 36 people sleeping in our house, which I remember sleeping in the bed with five or six other children. Wow. So what year would that? I mean, I'm sure I could look this 30, up. 30, uh, it was 36, because I was six in that September. I'm already feeling like I should have watched Gone with the Wind or something before I <laughs> before I came here, just to just to kind of center myself. Growing up at that time in the South, I mean, I can only and, and in Tupelo specifically, um, I can only imagine what that was like. Can you can you take me a little bit back to your childhood and and uh, what? Oh, I should have yeah, I should have read too. Um, uh, Oh, what's the Harper Lee one to kill a mockingbird? Yeah. I I didn't do my research before this interview. Well, you know, a lot of that was true uh, with Harper Lee. And I don't recall that that was an issue. But that's just because I was a child growing mm-hmm. up in a town that was segregated. There was an equal school, so I was told. And there was the white school. And, or schools. Uh, and... As far as my father had a very different idea about uh, race, I guess. Because he, he was a merchant. And his comment always was, you know, uh, black people spend their money in, in McGoys just like uh, white folks do. And so you owe them respect if they're coming into the store and buying things. And so I grew up with that idea. Right. And my childhood was, you know, I, I, it was certainly happy. And I don't, I think that I grew up with a lot of love. And um, uh, now I understand from people, well, not now, but when I got older, that uh, the McGoy girls were sort of um, terrors. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you and your sister. Yeah. Just the two of you. Yeah, because she was 16 months younger than me. So it was like having twins. Now, I, in some ways, I relate to this. I'm one of three boys, uh-huh. and and we were, you know, I don't know why anyone would signed off on that, the idea of having three boys, but we were terrorists. Yeah. We were, whirly, you know, I, I, many trips to the hospital, many a broken glass from baseballs. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, the worst thing I could do when I got to be a teenager was ride on fo- Highway 45. <laughs> I used to say that in, a different in school. Time. <laughs> <laughs> was that a was that a, a, a jailable offense to uh, drive on ha- Highway Forty Five? Oh, I got I got uh, home. I had to stay at home for a week after. It, and my father's way of punishing us was we stayed at home. We could go to school, but we had to come straight home, and we couldn't go anywhere on the weekend. No, I don't understand why. Why? What was what was so risky? And and uh, why couldn't you do that? Well, in Mississippi, that was the first real road everything else was uh a was gravel okay we drove on gravel road if we went to memphis we rode on a gravel road and so highway 45 was 
a big deal. It was right. It had two lanes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, when did when did the mistletoe boy come in? And, oh, and when I well in he? high school. Why yeah. don't we just talk about all the boyfriends? Not that there were, all, but but like who? Let's talk about the. When did you start becoming interested in boys? Uh, yes. Um, you know, having grown up in an all-girl family and being the oldest, the idea that there were things boys did and girls didn't do never occurred to me. And uh, because, you know, I took out the garbage, I turned the ice cream crank, I did all the things boys do. And so uh, boyfriends were just good friends for the most part. Right. So they came into play in high school. Uh, I don't think in junior high. Uh, but I was all, there were always boys around. Uh, May I ask, were you, uh, uh, were you con- uh, pretty? I had platinum blonde hair. Wow. And it was curly. Ooh. And my friends in Tupelo say when, it, when I went back and it was gray, they said, you don't look a bit too different. Not bad. Yeah. You know, we were talking Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Now we're talking Greece. Yeah. <laughs> what was her name in Greece? The the Sandy. Yeah. Is that accurate? Didn't I don't you? know. I didn't. You know, that was after my time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I had boyfriends. And um, I think that, it, well, for me, it was a very different from what it, what it is today. Very different. Uh, you know, in high school, you might have kissed and uh, messed around a little bit, but you that was about it. Right. Of course, you had no contraceptives. Right. Birth control didn't get, exist, uh, no. didn't get invented until, what, the 60s? Yeah. 70s? Yeah. And we're talking well, what now? Well, the, the, there was always a condom. Uh, now, but, I, should, I should say, as we talk about this, as we get into this a little bit, you, your background, your checkered nurse yeah. career, as you've put it, You've worked as a sex educator. Yeah. Is that right? And yeah. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> but but before, okay, so there was always, contraception existed? Well, there was, yes. It was, but it was, first of all, you had to, if it was for a woman, you had to go to the doctor and get it. And uh, if it was a man, you could use a condom, but mm-hmm. you could get those over the counter in a drugstore. Okay. Um. Get on down to Highway Forty Five, yeah, right? And, and and you know the the because I think the culture was different. I and I grew up in a uh, rather protected home, uh, conservative Christian. Maybe yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, Christian. They were a little more liberal than you than a lot of places. Because mother was such an educator, she wanted you to know everything right about a subject and make up your own mind. So what was your path? You were you were. I went to nursing. Went to, I went graduated from high school. Went to Mississippi State College for Women for two years, um, partly because my family was not all that excited about me going to nursing school. Why is that? Uh, well, back in those days, you know, that wasn't all that acceptable uh, for a woman to to know anything about the body. Um, you know, they were they were still coming out of the Victorian era, right? And my mother was very Victorian, and uh, but they they wanted me to go to MSCW for two years. Now I was not a good student. Today I would think I would be dyslexic, 
But you think uh, you, you had dyslexia? I'm pretty sure I do. And uh, my sister, who was 16 months younger, was no problems. I mean, she just aced everything, mm-hmm. all the tests and everything else. And I think it, it, I, I probably passed so I wouldn't be in her grade. If I flunked, I'd have been in her class. Yeah. And that was just horrifying. And, do you remember uh, your grades? I mean, do you? Oh, I made C's mostly. I made uh, I made an F in in spelling, um, and things like that. And um, but anyway, I I did graduate, and then I went to uh, MSCW and got all the prerequisites for nursing. Vanderbilt was the first bachelor's of of science mass, uh, nursing degree in the South. And my father had come to Vanderbilt. And so mother went to MSCW. Okay, if you finish there, you'll go to Vanderbilt because they have one. Yeah. And so that's why I came to Vanderbilt. Back in those days, you just paid your tuition and that was it. You know, there weren't any tests to get in. Right, right. Um, And so I came to Vanderbilt. Um, And, you know, there were, were, as far as boyfriends, I, I had several boyfriends Thank you for bringing it back to that. I was, and, I was waiting for that. Yeah. Uh, the high school boyfriends, there was only one that was still around, and he would sort of float in and float out. Um, so anyway, I went to nursing school, and I met Bill about a, a month after I got to nursing school. And, and Bill, your, your— My husband. And he was, uh, what, a med student? Yeah, he was a, a second-year med student. From? Here. From Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, let's talk about this. When did you when did you meet him? What was that encounter? Well, like? it's, it's sort of interesting. You know, when you first meet somebody, I, I was my I had a uh, a sweet mate, well, a classmate. She wasn't a sweet mate at that time, named Frances Upton, and Frances and I had was studying in the library, which was the medical library, in the uh, in the hospital or in the medical school. And um, when we got ready to leave, I had told her I had some newspapers from Tupelo that I was going to take upstairs to the lab where a friend of my friend from Tupelo uh, lived with this guy. So anyway, I took them up to a guy named Bill Callison and Bill Edwards, and there was another Bill Ed- Bill Harris at that time, and two or three other uh, medical students in the in there studying, and. Francis and I gave the I gave the papers to um, Bill Callison and um, Bill Edwards and Bill Harris started talking to us and we just chatted and um, Bill Edwards said I think I've seen you before and I said well where and you know we I'd been there a month I hadn't seen much of anybody and he said didn't you come up to a foot uh, to a Phi Delta Theta um, dance last year and i said well yeah i did uh-huh. one of the boys from tupelo had invited me to come up to the Delt dance mm-hmm. a formal yeah, yeah. At, at the hermitage hotel and uh that was it you know that's and we i said yes and so we chatted a minute and i went on we went on back to the dorm and then bill edwards and bill harris came over and said let's go down and have coffee so we went down to butchie's which is no longer there and uh, had a cup of coffee, and that was when I started dating him. On the same, 
the that was still the first same yeah. night, right? Mm-hmm. But okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. A lot of questions. You, this sounded you didn't the way you're telling the story. You didn't sound very interested in him. I wasn't. You weren't. Oh. Uh-uh. So, but you started dating. Well, he asked me for another date, and I was dating somebody else too. But you know, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about getting serious with anybody. You nursing. were. You were focused on, on being nursing. nursing. Yes. No man was going to come. No. And uh, you know, upset that apple no. cart. No. But at some point, surely his persistence paid off, and you must have at, at one of these dates finally looked at him and been like, "Okay, I kind of like you." Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And we dated two and a half years before we got married. Wait. So when did it? When did it? Uh, was it just a, was it just persistence and he endeared himself to you or, or when did you finally go, Oh, I I like Bill and not these other guys. I'm not even sure when, you know, it was just one of those things. He was always there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's Bill again. All right. I remember going home for Christmas that year and, uh, and New Year's and he called me and, uh, you know, a telephone call was very different. That was really something. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of surprised that he called to wish me uh, Happy New Year. I think he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but he managed to dial. Yeah. And that was a big thing. <laughs> For seniors in greater Nashville, Tennessee, Blakeford Senior Life is not just a provider of residential living and services. We are a partner We work with seniors to create the living experience that works best for them and their loved ones. Whether that's in a beautifully designed residential setting on our Green Hills campus or in a longtime family home, the goal is not to change life, but to enhance and enrich it as you age. Now listen, you were at one point a a, uh, sex educator, is that right? Yeah. How did that come to, I mean, was this... Um, Well, you know, we, we... We tried to, uh, in nursing school, we were sort of taught, first of all, that if we didn't know the answer to something, that we could find out. And so it never occurred to me if somebody asked me a question that I didn't know, that I didn't go find out and come back and tell them Mm -hmm. if there was an answer. And um, I had this good friend uh, call me one day. I mean, we were very close friends. And uh, she called me one day and said, quick, You've got to tell me about baby, where babies have come from. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, because I came, came, went out this morning to go to school, and she said, when I come home, Mama, I want you to tell me about the birds and the bees. And I don't know what to tell her. A moment of sheer panic. Uh-huh. Why, and, no, why not just tell him? Why not just tell the, you know, just, just hit the kid with it straight. He asked for it. Yeah, but see, she didn't, she couldn't have done that. So what did you, what did you, what did you say? How well, did you, I said, how did you walk well, I don't it? know. I'll see what I can find out as far as to tell her what to read or whatever. And I was fascinated with the fact that there was so little uh, written. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, this would have been what? It would have been about, it's, it was in the 60s, in maybe, maybe early 60s. So I began trying to find some material and I, ca- I called the libraries and said, do you have any uh, books on sex education? And never did they ever give me an answer on the first go-round. 
they would refer me to the head librarian finally, which I didn't realize that's what was going on. And they would say, what do you want the book for? Which I thought was such an odd question. And they would not have anything for children. And so then I started calling the uh, churches. And the Hold on, that was your, that, the library didn't work, so you thought, I know who will have yeah. this. And the churches. The, I called the Methodist board, and they really didn't have anything. And I called the Catholic, there was a Catholic bookstore or something here. And they just hung up on you? No. They had a movie. It was awful, but they had a movie. <laughs> called, do you remember what it was called? I don't remember what it was called, but what I remember about it was they were talking, when it was talking about masturbation, it was telling boys to take a cold shower. Okay. And girls, they didn't tell anything. Not, I mean, it was like it was you just don't a blank do that. page. So not very, not very clinical. No. But this is actually impressive that uh, that you are, you know, that you're going down these these that you're researching yeah. all of this. You clearly yeah. had an, an interest in this, and yeah. were, were maybe bothered that uh, yes. this wasn't yes. accessible. That there wasn't. Any, I mean, it it was part of your body. Why don't you have something about it? Yeah, you have something about eyes and ears and everything else, but. Why don't you have something about your sex life? And in your anatomy courses during nursing school, was it oh, also yeah. taboo? Or, no, or? no, no. We talked about it. Okay. Um, but also remember that clinically or uh, medically speaking, Masters and Johnson had not done the research. Oh, I've heard Masters and Johnson. And it had not come. It did not hit their work did not come out until the early 70s. So there was no um, there was no medical uh, way of explaining an orgasm, for instance. Mm -hmm. Not that I would explain it to a baby, but a child. But anyway, that wasn't even a, that wasn't anything you could talk about. Right. I mean, because you didn't have the scientific information. By the way, what was the fact you told me earlier uh, about the li a tiger lion? Yes. Yes. Lions have the. <laughs> are the only multi-orgasmic male beast. Wow. <laughs> That's why I had that picture over there. <laughs> Oddly enough, a, a, a tiger with a, a human. There's a, there's a woman, a lounging woman on the tiger, knowing know. for a fact he's a multi-orgasmic beast. <laughs> when I saw See it, the appeal. I, you know, I saw it in a gallery out, oh, what was the name of it? Olane Zion or something like that, out on the highway. Uh, in in that shopping center where Sam's is now, and uh, anyway, I saw it and I burst out laughing and I was so hysterical. <laughs> and the woman who owned the gallery kept looking at me and thinking, well, "I mean, I was just dying laughing." And I said, "I have to tell you about this 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 fact." <laughs> yeah, it's just a just a, a a woman supporting animals. Yeah, and and. That's not what you see. <laughs> so, so, and and I'm I'm being facetious about yeah. all this, but you, there was a very serious. Well, yeah, mission. I, yeah. I, my mission was that I needed to find some facts that I could tell people how to talk to children about sex. The uh, birds and the bees. Yeah, yeah. Which, and by the way, I don't ever recall having that talk with my parents. Yeah. Um, so whatever awkward thing it is that people go through, 
didn't happen yeah with me yeah it's mostly stuff that you found out by accident uh myths yes yeah from the from your friend yes essentially yeah anyway uh I, I did keep looking, and the other thing, and I remember going down to the public library and asking about the Kinsey Report. Now, I had no idea what a lot of this was in my research of trying to find something to talk to children about, which the Kinsey Report wouldn't have been that. But I went down and, to and the, By the way, can you just put in context, because I've, I've heard Kinsey Report, I've heard Masters and Johnson, but... The ooh. Kinsey Report was done by a, uh, a, a group of... Of, actually, they was they were scientists. They were in the sciences, chemistry, and that kind of thing. And what they were charged to do was to uh, find out who did what to whom, kind of things. So it's more um, a sociological way of answering. They they ask questions. Do you you know? I guess what do you do when all that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, they had they did some research on various things like that you know you don't usually go into detail about uh, but that was not what your body does that was that was Masters and Johnson how your body responds is a Masters and Johnson thing okay okay so um, so I'm very fascinated by this and, uh, keep going and uh, anyway I. One of the things I did was ask the colleges about classes, and I'd call Peabody, and I'd call Vanderbilt, and I'd call Belmont. <laughs> and of course, Belmont <laughs> almost hung up in my face. No, we don't have any classes like that. And Vanderbilt, well, at this point, the word must have gotten out like, hey, there is this lady. She's no. calling libraries. <laughs> she's calling churches. She's calling. She's calling different colleges. Just just. Tell her you're not selling anything and just hang up. I mean, you know. Uh, you know, I was just very curious as to, first of all, why in the world isn't there something written for people to read that would be helpful? And, of course, my mother never told me anything. She said, well, you went to nursing school. You know about that. Yeah. Well, nursing school didn't do any better. And so, anyway, I uh, called Peabody one time, and they had a class, uh, and this was about 19, I want to say 70, and they were having a class in the summer for teachers who were going to teach human sexuality or sexuality in the school system. And uh, they, there was a, you know what QAnon is? Okay. There was a, another group called the John Birch Society, which mm -hmm. was operating during that time, and they torpedoed that the idea of teaching human sexuality in the schools uh, to the point that they, you know, were people were worried about their lives. That I mean that was not a new thought for QAnon or any of these other folks. So anyway, they still were going to have the class, and they didn't have enough students, and so they let me come. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, and it was a good. He was the the Bjork was the um, uh, professor, and he was a sociologist, and so it was again like a Kinsey thing. Only it was much, it was more uh, a, a whole picture of uh, what other places were doing, like England and Scandinavia and those kinds of things, as well as what resources there were here in town. 
or in the United States. So where did this all end up? Did you? How did it coalesce? I got. Uh, I started working with Planned Parenthood. You did, okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I was the first unpaid educator, uh, and uh, I would go out to the schools when they would call and say, "Can you?" When they'd get to the the home ec, home economics thing would get to a se- section called family uh, in sep- in January, and so. We, I, they would call Planned Parenthood, and I would go out and talk about um, your body and how you got pregnant and things like that. There's still no place to go and find out about education, about what it's going to be like. And that's, you know, that's so sad. And um, I, I still grieve over that, that, there's, that it's still in the closet, so to speak. Blakeford Senior Life. Visit us at blakeford.com to learn more about our innovative senior living solutions in Nashville, Tennessee. Coming up next. Um, and the, the one about children is that you are the, uh, you are the bow and the children are the arrows. You cannot follow them. Sorry, where were we? Uh, I guess about sex education. But anyway, <laughs> I ended up doing that. And then um, when at some point um, after that uh, uh, class, uh, some channel, two, channel 8 was doing a program on what happened to sex education in the schools. And so they had a panel. And, of course, not many women talked about sex. So I got all that duty. Mm-hmm. And so I went to, and there was a guy from the Methodist board named John, no, not John. Anyway, uh, he um, was working, they had a whole program for uh, adolescents from junior high up, uh, and different ones of the board handled that. The people who worked with junior highs had a whole series, the high school another and then the adults and uh so john he called me or he sent me a letter asking me if i would be interested in participating in a methodist weekend where they were going to they they needed some women to be co-chairs of groups and i thought well that's interesting and i certainly wanted to know about it and so I signed up to go, and when I showed the letter to Bill, he was not happy, and he looked. He he was sort of a partner in a lot of these issues on human sexuality. Well, and I was going to ask, like, how? What is Bill's response? Surgeon, he surgeon that he was, he yeah. was he was certainly responsive. Anyway, he finally said, "Well, yeah, I'll go, but I'm going to protect you." So how did it end up um, transpiring with Bill? Did he... He went, and, you know, it was probably one of the better things we did for our marriage. Yeah, And, you know, one of the things that I think every couple has to come together about is a commitment. And trying to... You can't just marry and have a commitment and never work on it. You've got to work on on issues as they come up. And as you grow, 
and your partner grows. Let, let me ask you, because you are a, and you've been a therapist and you've talked about relationships and sexuality and looking back, what do cu- some couples get wrong about this? What do some couples get right? What do you wish you and your husband had done differently or that you did right in terms of like relationships? Well, you have to interact with each other and you have to talk about issues uh, and values. And so many couples, you know, get married and they think, well, I've got a job over here and you've got a job over here and we'll just go along this way. You have to interact and you have to make time to do that. And you can't do it with children. Mm -hmm. You have to do it you know, together as a couple. And that relationship has to remain primary. You know, and when you're going through, you know, like I had four children, going through trying to do all the things for the four children and keep a relationship with Bill, you know, you have to work at it. That's that's another interesting. So I'm at the I'm of the age right now where my friends are starting to to have kids. And, and I think that's something that I've, I've heard from them and just on the periphery of is like, you look, we've, these people saying, Hey, we've learned about each other as a couple because it becomes about the, the child. And, but you can't forget that, you know, there's still us over here. Those children are going to grow up and leave you. You, you hope that your partner is not. Yeah. Or worse, you realize once the children have left you, that you've maybe been, you know, it's like neglected your relationship sure. with your husband. Yeah. And you're suddenly seeing things with 2020 vision. Yeah. Now I should point out that I am uh, not a relationship counselor. I'm not married. <laughs> I'm single. I speak from no place of authority, <laughs> but I've, you know, I've read articles. Yeah. So I mean, you're the authority on it. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a fine line and it's really tough when you're, you know, having all those babies and trying to do all the things that would launch a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a wonderful, um, well, he's a he, he an eight. Uh, well, anyway, his name is Gabron. I don't know whether you've ever read his poems. Uh, he has one that's that's uh, about uh, let there be spaces in your togetherness. About couples, the couples that just do you know do everything together to the point where they don't do anything else. They, there are no spaces in their togetherness, and so. One of the things that I celebrate is when two people have jobs because then they have two different ways of coming together. Um, And the the one about children is that you are the the bow and the children are the arrows. You cannot follow them. And you have to equip them with what they need to survive in this world. Uh, and that's a different place. You know, a lot of people don't see it that way. They want to follow them. And uh, that's tough. My mom said to me one time, this is slight, well, it's unrelated, but it's just, you made yeah. me think of it. But she pointed out that, like, she wasn't tooting her own horn, but she was just like, hey, at least I've never, like, she she's not a cloying mother. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize that some mothers can be needy or or take a lot out of their children. Yeah. And and my mother said that, and I didn't think much of it. And then a bunch of stories, you know, maybe I was like, you know, listening to a, a podcast or a documentary of a performer I yeah. liked, and they talked about, you know, Johnny Carson's mother being a terror or someone yeah. else's mother doing And I that, I that, it never dawned on me that parents could 
take a lot out of their kids or be needy. Be so needy that the kids feel that they can't, they have to stay there and support them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, yeah. and I've only, I guess I'd only heard it in the, in the context of a, a mother and a son relationship. Yeah. But. And, and, you know, sometimes back, uh, when women and, and there are cultures that still do this, marry right out of the, you know, in their teens, they don't know anything else. And husband goes off and does things interesting to him. She doesn't do anything that isn't sort of rote, uh, even if she cleans houses or something like that. It's still not tickling her brain. And then she depends more on her children and th- what they do in the world. Yeah. Live vicariously through mm-hmm. them. As we sort of wrap up here, I just have a couple more questions about your children and Bill. Uh, your children, if they heard this interview, what would they want to know about their their mom? What would they want me to to ask you? I have no idea. Well, guys, just call in. <laughs> We're at one eight hundred Blakeford. Uh, all right. Well, let me let me ask that a different way. They are not perhaps seeing you every every day. What would you like them to know about you? About do they know about the the wine group and do they know oh, yeah. what you're kind of doing and oh, staying yeah. active with? Yeah, and they know that I'm trying to get everything in order so that when I am not lo- no longer here, uh, that they they have a blueprint print of what I want. Like uh, a, 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 I've got a outline for a, a memorial service. They know I want to be cremated. They know uh, that. And, and all of my assets are in all three of their names. Our son, our third child, died of uh, lung cancer um, three years ago. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to hear that. He was 57. So uh, they're just three of them. He had no fam- no children. So uh, the three that are left are the ones that will do, you know, share that whatever it's left. Um and I've tried to make it as easy, it's the transition to be as easy as possible for them. So you're a very friendly, nice person. But your husband passed away two years ago. You're, you had a child who passed away three years months, ago. Yeah, 18 months before. So that's a lot of tragedy in, in five years. How are you feeling? I fe- I'm feeling every day it's better. I'm one of these high-energy people, and my energy absolutely was gone for about two years. I'm almost to the point of beginning to think of I want to do other things. Like I've run, I'm now running for the Blakefoot Council. Uh, uh, I've done it once, but I'm going to do it now. But I couldn't have even thought about doing that for two years. And it's not like I don't think about Bill daily, but I don't think about him every second, which is what I did for a year. I guess in a way, mortality is a is a theme that I'm interested in with this because I can't I can't square in my head how someone can have these specific memories of being a child and then um, and then in the same breath, having to be like, oh, but I have to, I also have to keep in mind my mortality. Like, how, how do you square that? Like, I, I just can't. My mortality. I don't know that I 
you know, I think about, I, one of the things that I think about a lot right now is like, I'm thinking about, well, do I really want to spend the money to fix this up? Uh, I don't know if I'll get the good out of it. And when I buy clothes, I think the same thing. I don't want to spend that kind of money on this because I might not live long enough to get the use out of it. <laughs> so what, does that just come with age that you yeah. just be, it, you know? For me, it is. I don't know about anybody else. You know, I have, I had, have friends who just not going to think about it. They're just going to leave it all to the children. Let them think about it. But see, I've divided up jewelry. I've uh, divided up silver and china and everything in here has already got a place to go. We did that when we moved out of the house. I'm not even thinking so much, though, the divvying up of of belongings as, like, being able to see your life, it like, in its full scope and being like, oh, I was... I was a child and now I'm, I'm very interested in with this and like how people feel when they look in the mirror, like how old do you feel? And like, what do you see? Do you, do you look back and do you see the Francis of, of 91 or do you see Francis who's 30 years old? Kind of is what I'm curious about. Oh, I'm not sure I do. I think I see myself as, as, um, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know what 90s years is supposed to feel like. Uh, I don't know that I feel like what I would think 90-year-olds feel like. But I don't have that, you know, I don't know what 90-year-olds supposed to feel like. Growing older is one of those things that you hope you have that opportunity to do. And as you do it, you play it your way. You know, and hopefully that's going to be fairly acceptable, or if it's not, that people will laugh and Say, okay, she's just an old lady. You it's, know? It's a win-win. <laughs> well, Francis, this has been uh, this has been more than wonderful. And thank you for inviting me into your lovely apartment. And do you have any final things you would like to no. say? No. Okay. Well, that'll, that'll about do it, Francis. You can come back anytime. I can come back anytime? Yeah. Me and All My Friends. Hosted and produced by Ben Odo. For more interviews, visit meandallmyfriendspod.com and make sure to follow us at meandallmyfriends on Instagram. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Julie Dowd, Brian Barnes, John McHugh, and Warner Tidwell. I'm Mariah Paris, and nobody ever thanks me. Me and all my friends.